I welcome you to our adult Sunday school time here at the Kerwinsville Christian Church. And we are so glad that you are with us this morning. We are doing our survey through the Old Testament, trying to understand how the Old Testament fits together, especially looking at the whole issue of, of our Lord, God, His people, which is Israel, and the Messiah. And we're up to, in our study of this survey, 1st, 2nd Kings, 2nd Chronicles. And actually, we're winding down uh, with this segment. And today, we're going to look at Lesson 23. We're going to focus on two kings from Judah, Manasseh and his son Ammon. Now, next week, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, we've only got two more lessons after this week in which we're going to be in 1st and 2nd Kings and 2nd Chronicles. So next week, we're going to look at King Josiah, and then in the final lesson, we're going to look at the final four. And I'm not talking about basketball. The final four kings of Judah and the fall of Judah to Babylon. So that's what we're looking forward to. So today we're going to focus on Manasseh and Ammon. And we're going to look in particular at 2 Kings chapter 21 verses 1 to 26. And 2 Chronicles chapter 33 verses 1 to 25. So let's start, with first of all, with Manasseh. Now, as we start with Manasseh, I think a lot of people might know already that Manasseh was not a good king. And that seems almost, well, how do we say this? That seems almost it, it, unusual. That maybe would be a good word. It seems unusual when you consider who his father was. His father was Hezekiah, and the scripture very clearly tells us that Hezekiah, there was no king like him before him, nor after him, and this was a guy who loved the Lord and brought all these reforms. How is it that Hezekiah has a son who goes off the deep end like Hezekiah's father, Ahaz? How's that possible? Well, I just want to remind you because, you know, there is an aspect of needing to understand the culture and how they operated versus how we operate today. And so when you talk about the kings of Judah, you need to recognize, first of all, that they had many wives, many wives. So Hezekiah more than likely had more than one wife. And with that, when there were children born, the primary influence in a child's life was the mother. And so if you'll notice, when you look at the text, it will tell you that Manasseh, son of Hezekiah, became king, and he was king at this age. But the text will also say, and his mother was. We've already seen that in other, other passages as well. We've not really mentioned it except for today. It will list who the mother is. And that was a significant thing because that's who primarily raised the child. I think it also needs to be made aware that this is not necessarily some parenting fault with Hezekiah, but it just tells you the general nature of Judah as well as all of Israel in their tendency to turn away from the Lord. And you're going to see that because here's the thing, Manasseh becomes king. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and ruled over Judah 55 years. All right, so when Hezekiah died, Manasseh was 12, he becomes king. 
Now, you would think that the influences, the courtiers, the, the people who would be guiding him that are in the administration of the, the palace of Judah, there would be some godly men to guide him. We're not sure what's going on there, but the fact of the matter is this guy's 12 years old when he starts out, but he doesn't do right. He doesn't do right. In fact, next thing you see from the text is, is that he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the Canaanite nations. So here he is. He becomes king. Now, listen, before, when you've seen that somebody did wrong in the sight of the Lord, it'll say because he did not walk in the ways of his father David or grandfather David. Or he followed after the ways of King Ahab and Jezebel. Or, for instance, when we talked about the king, kings of the north, they followed after the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. Here we see Manasseh is singled out because he's not just doing evil in the sight of the Lord. He has purposely chosen to do the abominations of the Canaanite nations that God drove out of the land. The Amorites, the Hittites, the Canaanites. He, he, these, these, this is the abominations that were going on in the land, and he's bringing them up again. How many centuries later? So notice what he did. He does the exact opposite of his father. So he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah had taken down, and he built altars to Baal and Asherah. Baal and Asherah. Well, you know, sounds like he's doing the same thing that Ahab did. Well, yeah, in a way, but I also want you to recognize this was the tendency of the Israelis at this time. Their tendency was to go after the gods of Canaan, which were Baal, the rain god, and Ashtaroth, which was that grotesque pole, which was a fertility god as well. And so he's rebuilding these high places and he's building these altars to Baal and Asherah. That's not all he does. Manasseh built altars to these gods in the temple where the Lord said he put his name. So he goes one step further in his abominations. He's kind of like his grandfather Ahaz in the fact that he didn't just build these high places and worship there. He built altars in the temple where God said, I will put my name. It was supposed to be exclusively for the worship of Yahweh. It also says that he placed altars to the hosts of heaven in two courts of the temple. Now, the hosts of heaven, what is that, George? Well, that's the constellations. We would know that from the horoscope, Aries, Pisces, Aquarius. So he's placed these altars to the host of heaven in two courts of the temple. Not only that, he goes further in his abominations. How? He sacrificed his sons to the fire and practiced the dark arts, which provoked the Lord to anger. What do you mean practice the dark arts? Well, he was involved in soothsaying. He was involved in witchcraft. He passed his sons through the fire. What does that mean? He sacrificed his sons to the fire. He offered them up to the god Moloch as a burnt offering. This is an abomination. 
Here it is. He also set an Asheroth pole in the temple where the Lord said he would put his name. So he put this grotesque wooden image in the temple to Asheroth. He is leading the nation astray. And this is where the Lord said he put his name. Now here's what else the Lord said. The Lord also stated that Israel would not wander anymore from the land if they obeyed. It's kind of like a reminder. They were supposed to worship the Lord in the temple because he had brought them into the land so that they wouldn't wander anymore as long as they obeyed. It's a remembrance of the covenant that's happening here. But the text tells us how the people responded. But the people did not pay attention, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil. He's leading them astray. He's leading them to do abominable things. Now, here's the interesting thing. With that, the Lord, of course, is going to bring judgment. How do we know that he's going to do that? Well, he told them in the law, when Moses told them, when you go into the land, in Deuteronomy, it's very clear, when you go into the land, you will walk away, and God will bring oppressors, and God will do this. And so it's very clear that judgment is coming. So the Lord spoke through his prophets to the people concerning the coming judgment. Now, the text doesn't tell us specifically who the prophets were, but you, I can already guarantee you that I that one of them would have been Isaiah. In fact, uh, it is tradition that Isaiah was killed, murdered, during the reign of Manasseh. In fact, it is so well known that he was murdered. He was murdered by being placed into a log, and then they cut him in half with a saw. That's how they murdered that prophet. And obviously there were other prophets who spoke, but they were not listened to. They were rejected. And so, because Manasseh had done the things more wicked than the Ammonites, calamity was coming. Because he was doing things that even the Ammonites weren't doing. And God had judged them. The reality is calamity was coming upon the nation. In fact, the prophet says that the judgment will be such that the ears of those who hear of it will tingle. Now, what is that? It's kind of an idiom that kind of says that people, when they hear about it, they're going to be like, ooh, wow, are you, really? Is that what happened? That's the reality of what's going on here. So here's what would happen. The Lord will judge Judah as he did Samaria and cleanse it as one would clean a dish. In fact, it's pretty descriptive. The description is of one taking a, a dish that, and, and turning it upside down and wiping the inside out of it. So he's talking about doing that to Judah, just like he did to Samaria, the northern kingdom. And we know what happened ultimately with the northern kingdom. They were carried away into exile by the Assyrians. So here's what else. The Lord says, the Lord will abandon the remnant and deliver them to plunderers because of their evil. This is, you know, when I read this, I had to pause for a moment. It's like, wow, you know, oftentimes we hear about God keeping a remnant and watching over a remnant. Here, he's basically saying, I'm going to abandon the remnant. 
I'm going to abandon them and give them over, deliver them over to plunderers because of their evil against me. So the Lord also pointed out that Manasseh shed much innocent blood. It was basically the implication is that the streets of Jerusalem were filled with the blood of the innocent that Manasseh had killed. This dude is evil. And yes, he is the son of Hezekiah. Not a good situation. So here's what happens. The chronicler, now this has mainly been from Kings, but the chronicler records that the people in Manasseh would not listen to the Lord. Even though the prophets are coming and proclaiming judgment, they're not listening. We say, did they have a chance? Yeah. I mean, one of the great famous stories that we know is Jonah. Remember when he goes to Nineveh? He goes through Nineveh three days. Probably took him three days to walk through all of Nineveh. And he proclaimed judgment against the city. God stayed his hand in judging that city because they repented. I think if, if Manasseh and the people had listened and repented, I think the Lord would have stayed his hand. How do we know that? Because he's done that before. But the fact is, is the chronicle records that the people in Manasseh would not listen to the Lord. The Lord sent Assyrians who took Manasseh as prisoner and carried him to Babylon. Now, when somebody reads that, they might think, well, wait a minute now, I thought the Babylonians were in Babylon. Why would the Assyrians carry Manasseh as a prisoner to Babylon? Well, the reason why is because the Assyrian Empire at this time stretched from the north of Israel all the way down through the Fertile Crescent into Babylon, what we know of as Iraq. And at that time when this happens, the Assyrian Empire is in control. That's how far it would spread. And Babylon was one of their cities. And so they carried him as a prisoner there. Now, the text makes it very clear it wasn't good for Manasseh. What do you mean? Well, after being in great affliction, kind of makes you think that he's being tortured. After being in great affliction, Manasseh cried out to the Lord and humbled himself. I mean, so finally, after being taken away with hooks, now the whole concept of hooks, probably a hook through his mouth being brought down to as a prisoner to Babylon, not being treated like a king, but as a defeated king he's being treated. Through much affliction, he finally cries out to God for help, and he humbles himself. The Lord responded to Manasseh's pleas and brought him back to his kingdom. That's interesting. When you read this, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. He only gets half of chapter 21 or half of chapter 33. And a lot of it is talking about the bad things he's done, talking about the judgment, but then when it comes to the whole issue of him, just a few verses are given with regards to the issue of his repentance, and he's humbling himself, he's crying out to God. It says the Lord responded to Manasseh's pleas and brought him back to his kingdom. And here's what the text says, it's interesting. When Manasseh returned to Jerusalem, he knew that the Lord was God. 
I think he became finally convinced that Yahweh was God when he returned after being in torment, a prisoner in Babylon, when he finally returned to his kingdom, he knew that the Lord was God. And so the text tells you that he then set about to do some things to make things right as much as he could. So for instance, Manasseh reinforced Jerusalem and fortified the cities throughout Judah. Obviously so, you've just been defeated, you've just been carried away because of the Assyrians. And so Manasseh is reinforcing, fortifying Jerusalem, building up its walls, fortifying the cities throughout Judah. He took away the foreign gods and all of the altars he built from the temple. So what does he do? He's realizing that Yahweh is God, so this place is the only place where God has his name. So he removes all of the altars and foreign gods that he has placed there. The Asheroth poles, the Baals, the hosts of heaven, two altars in the courts of the temple. He removes all of that stuff. He repaired the temple and offered sacrifices as he commanded Judah to do so as well. So now he comes back, he's making his sacrifices and his burnt offerings at the temple, but now he tells everyone else, hey, you are to worship the Lord alone in the temple. And he commanded them to do that. Now here's the problem. However, Judah continued to sacrifice to the Lord on the high places. Now, you might be saying to yourself, well, you know, yeah, they're sacrificing on the high places. We've seen that when we went through Samuel. We've seen that. They've been doing this for a long time. It's obviously okay, George, because they're worshiping the Lord. They're not worshiping a foreign god. Now, what the problem is, is that it's a slippery slope, folks. God says, here is where you will worship me in the temple. But if you're saying, okay, we're going to worship the Lord on this hilltop and under this tree and make burnt offerings to him there, that's okay. Well, eventually what happens is, is you drift away from the Lord and something else, <coughs> excuse me, something else takes the place, which was, let's be honest, which was these other gods. And they start burning incense to the host of heaven and to the Baals and the Asheroths on these high places. Because let's remind ourselves that's what they were doing before until the king decided enough of that. Now, let's talk about his death. The writer and a chronicler list where the details of Manasseh's reign are recorded. So, basically, both as which is typical at the end of a section concerning a king, they'll tell you where do you find the details of his reign. So the chronicler, the writer, tell you that. Manasseh was buried in the garden of his own house, and his son Ammon became king. So it's not, notice something. Manasseh isn't buried in the tomb of the kings of David. Now, there have been other kings that have not fared well as far as their reigns, and some of them were not buried in the tomb either. It's interesting that Manasseh here, even though he repented, he's not placed in honor with his fathers in the tombs of David. So let's talk about Ammon. So here we are, we're going to get to the last part of our study today, Ammon. Smaller section of scripture, uh, we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 21, verses 19 through 26, as well as 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verses 21 to 25. 
Now, Ammon was 22 years old when he became king and ruled over Judah for two years. Okay, so we already know. Okay, typically what we've seen is a reign of a king anywhere from about 22 years up to 55 years, and that's what happened with Manasseh. We've seen that Uzziah had a long reign of 52 years. When we typically have seen with these kings that their reigns range anywhere from days to two years, that usually means that things don't go well, and that's, of course, what happens with Ammon. Now, I think it's interesting. Again, notice now, here's a son whose king, whose dad, actually repents and he tries to do right in the end, but that doesn't carry over into the son. So here's what happens. He did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. So he's carrying on doing the things that his father had done before. He's doing the same things. And notice what it says. He walked in the ways of his father as he served and worshipped the idols of his father. So what is he doing? He's worshiping the same old gods that Manasseh worshiped. He's worshiping the gods of the Amorites and the Canaanites. He's sacrificing children to Moloch. He's, he's worshiping the host of heaven. He's got the Baals and the Asheroth poles. He's, he's doing all of these abominations again that got his father into trouble and brought judgment. Now here's the thing. Isn't this interesting? It's like they didn't learn the lesson. The judgment happens. They didn't learn the lesson. He forsook the ways of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the Lord. That is a terrible statement to make about a son of David. He didn't walk in the ways of his fathers. He didn't walk in the way of his father Hezekiah. And he didn't walk in the way of the Lord. Now, here's, here's what is interesting. The chronicler gives us a perspective here. The chronicler states that Ammon did not humble himself and grew in his sins against the Lord. You know what his chief issue was? Pride. The chronicler is pointing out to us that the issue with Ammon is pride. He was so prideful. He would not humble himself before the Lord. And guess what? The amount of his sins increased. Now, this is interesting. This is wild. And he's only reigning for two years. We're seeing a guy going downhill quickly. So guess what happens? The servant of Amnon conspired against the king and killed him in his own house. He must have been a, a terrible king because his own servants killed him. His own servants killed him. Now, the chronicler will go on and tell us that the people executed the conspirators who executed the king and made his son Josiah king. So guess what they do? All right, you guys shouldn't have done that. They kill the people who killed the king and they make Josiah the king. Now, the writer lists, again, where the details of Ammon's reign are recorded. Probably very few of them, but they're listed. So the writer makes us aware of where those details are listed. 
It also tells us that Ammon was buried in the tomb located in the garden of his house. So he's basically being buried in the tomb that his father Manasseh was buried in. In the palace, in the garden. That's where his bones would have been kept. Now, next week, we're going to move on to Josiah, who is another good king. Now, again, let me just kind of tell you, with these kings, they start out good, but they always end up not in a good way. And we're going to see that with Josiah as well. We're also going to see that Josiah fulfills a prophecy. If you remember, when we began our study back in 1 Kings, Jeroboam was told when he introduced the two kings, golden calves to be worshipped to the northern kingdom to keep them from going to the temple, he was told that someone named Josiah would come to Bethel and sacrifice the bones of the priests on that altar and tear that place up. And this is the Josiah that we're going to talk about. And that's what we're going to look at next week. So I hope you'll be with us next week. Until then, take care.